You are listening to Trinity Employment's A-Player Matchmaker Podcast, starring your host and the co-founder of Trinity Employment Specialists, Corey Minter. Hi, and welcome. We are so glad that you guys joined us today. Um, As I promised in our last leadership luncheon, um, I was going to bring the great, great Gabe Sherman back on a podcast to answer some of the questions that you guys had and really kind of go over um, what he talked about. Um, And we are so grateful that, Gabe, you gave us your time because I know how busy you are. You're running like 20 things right now. No, man, I'm glad to be here. This is great. Yeah, so... Um, I want to just jump into this because you've got a meeting in an hour, which does not surprise me one little bit, <laughs> and um, and I want to try to get as much as I can out of this. So the, the, the very first thing that we started talking about is you were talking about leadership, and that's all I saw when I went to go see you guys, mm-hmm. um, and is you turned into a different guy, it seemed like. <laughs> When you had all those people around you, it was, it was kind of surprising to me, and it was shocking sure. that everything that was being thrown at you. But this first part, you talked about the weight of leadership, mm-hmm. and you, and one of the things that you were talking about is working for such a big, huge organization like NASA, that although you have this incredible mission that you've got going, really one of the key factors is your talent retention. Um, it's it's not necessarily the mission itself, but the mission itself doesn't get done unless you keep all of those incredible right. people. And and so, you know, how did your experience at NASA, how did it shape your understanding of the balance between completing that mission and mm-hmm. getting after that mission, which is an incredible mission? Yeah, man. Um, and, and then share, share with them what that mission was. And then how do you differentiate between that and the quality of leadership, you know, in trying to retain your talent? Yeah. So NASA is an incredible organization, right? And and what we all love about NASA is that it does things that are just bigger and more grand than we could ever imagine, right? Like you see images from the James Webb Space Telescope and you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that the universe looked like this. And and then you think about, you know, returning people to the lunar surface and sending the first woman to the to the lunar surface here in the next couple of years. And you're just like, man, those are the types of things we want out of the nation's space program. And it's just an awesome mission that you can't help but want to be engaged in. And so I think sometimes what can happen is you can think, well, man, with a mission like that, um, nobody would ever want to leave NASA. And I would tell you that right now today, there are people at NASA that are trying to figure out how do we attract keep and and just retain for the long term not just in the short term but for the long term the best engineering talent and some of the best uh, you know minds in the world how do we keep them at this awesome agency and the reason is they have to compete now unlike they've ever had to compete before there was a time whenever nasa was the only player in the space game right mm-hmm. like i mean that was really it the commercial companies that were out there were just there basically supporting the nasa effort or the government effort Now you have private space companies that are popping up everywhere. They're doing all kinds of things. And NASA is shifting to where they are. They are contracting more, um, buying more services. So you came out to a commercial crew launch, right? That's what you came out to. So commercial crew is a program where NASA is buying the service, the transportation service from companies like SpaceX and Boeing and um, to take astronauts back and forth the International Space Station. That used to be a NASA-owned and operated mission through the space shuttle. Sure. Right? So they've shifted this idea. So now you've got these other companies, and now there are other places for people to go. And so while you have this amazing mission, you now have competition um, for talent. You know, um, 
you almost NASA almost created its own competition with that. <laughs> it did, yeah. Because some of those guys make a lot of money and they offer a ton of salary. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I even saw were the CEOs of those other companies coming over to you guys and you know, I I don't want to share the specific story because I don't know how much you should share about those things, but I do know that they were really vying for your attention and their competitive nature and just the way that they were approaching you was, um, it was aggressive at best. So, so competition is, is healthy. We all love competition, right? But in, in the space game, competition is huge, right? And, and everybody's vying for the next government contract. Everybody's vying for that next opportunity. And, and there's a lot of new space companies, man. They're, they're one contract away from being wildly successful or, or failing. And so there's a lot of, of movement, you know, to try and get close to people that are decision makers. But, you know, you ask the question, how do you, how, how does even an, an agency like NASA have to combat talent and, and be able to, to hold on to talent? What are some of the things that you have to do? And what we found ourselves doing practically there is trying to make sure that we were communicating effectively about the mission at NASA, not just assuming everybody knew, but helping people understand where we were going, why we were going there, what it meant to them, so that whenever they joined the agency or they were at the agency listening to leadership, they could say, okay, this is the the specific mission we're on. This is why it matters. We have confidence that it's going to succeed. And, And part of our whole effort during that time at NASA was to try and provide certainty for the employees at NASA. And if you want to, if you want to, any, anybody listen to this understands what uncertainty does to talent. It makes them go find certainty, right? They want mm-hmm. to go find out a place where they can stick. And at NASA, you know, you have the, the mission of NASA changing on political whims, whims from administration to administration. So one of the things that we knew we could do for the workforce at NASA was to provide certainty, you know, for the first time since Apollo, we had a lunar program established under one administration and transfer over to another administration. So from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. And when you can start to show consistency mm-hmm. in the mission, then you have people that can make commitments about their careers and their and their long-term focus. And so whenever you think about this at a very practical level here, right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, providing a level of consistency and certainty inside of an organization and a calm is one of the things leaders really have to do well so mm-hmm. that their employees are now asking questions about where else do I need to go to find those things. If you can provide a level of certainty and consistency inside of your place of business, then you're going you're gonna to have a better, a better opportunity at retaining top talent. You know, in, in a, a kind of a good example of that, and I need to ask you another example of it, or I want to, but your the clarity of vision, I heard it primarily from Jim, Jim Bridenstine, and mm-hmm. he was the administrator of NASA who you worked for. And it was very clear, we're going to the moon and we're going to Mars. Mm -hmm. Everyone was clear about that. And I got a chance to meet with one of the astronauts. And um, the depth of how he was so clear that we are absolutely going to Mars. So he was explaining to us, what does it look like to go to Mars? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, we're, we're really not sure how long, how, what that looks like, because we know that we either have to freeze our bodies, we need to put ourselves into coma, mm-hmm. um, to, because it's going to take months to get there. And um, so it, you know, we need to rely on very minimal energy that we're ex- exuding during that time period. 
And we were asking him, are you willing to do that? Yes, we are going to the Mars. I would absolutely go to sleep or be frozen <laughs> to get to Mars. And, um, and so that was the level at which your subordinates were bought in to this plan. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to share that example because was, that was pretty shocking. And by the way, in the middle of that, my son, he was little and he was in there and he was explaining that they might need to you know, freeze themselves. Mm-hmm. And my son looks at up at uh, Amber, my wife, and in the, minute, in the middle of it, she, he said, uh, Mom, I'm bored. Can we leave now? <laughs> and we had one of the highest level astronauts. Well, um, man, before you leave that point, um, I think it's – it's incredible that uh, you know you have. We had such a tremendous um, voice at the top of NASA and Jim Bridenstine, and that you know working with him day to day, that gentleman um, was preaching the good news of NASA to anybody and everyone that would listen. And it was incredible to watch him do that. And that did a tremendous amount of things for us externally, right? For us to talk about all of these great things that we were we wanted to go accomplish and why they were so significant. But like you're hinting at the the impact it had internally. Yes. Whenever you're able to communicate clarity of vision and purpose and direction, and people can get into alignment with that inside of an organization. And so at the top of your organization, if there isn't clarity of purpose and vision and direction, it's really tough to get alignment down and throughout the organization. One of the best things Jim ever did for me was provide that top level vision Um, for the organization because then I could down and in I could rally people to it help them see themselves in it and align to go execute it right and that's what was most important for for me to do at that time I didn't need to cast the vision at that particular point I needed to hear it take it in and then ask the question what do I need to do as from a leader inside this organization to help people get aligned and moving in that direction of achieving and making that vision a reality yeah, you guys did an unbelievable job at that, obviously, because uh, just us hearing the idea of what it would take to go to Mars, we were like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and he was like, we are going, we yeah. will be there. Yeah, it's great. The um, I-, I wanted to ask for an example, if you could, it, you know, uh, regard going back to retaining talent, because uh, I selfishly went into some interesting things that I have with NASA with you, and sorry about that to our audience. Um but can you give a real-life example from NASA where exceptional leadership played a pivotal role in retaining top talent, even during challenging times? You know? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, what jumps off the page at me is is COVID. Like, what, what happened yeah. to us in 2020? You mentioned right? that. Yeah. So it was... So imagine you're running full speed, just like the world was. Everybody was running full speed. But 2020 for us was supposed to be the year that we returned human spaceflight to the United States of America, to, to U.S. soil. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be the year that we were launching our next Mars mission. Um, it was supposed to be a year of, of huge accomplishments, right? Like, And that's what we were focused on. We wanted to make these big things happen in 2020. And, you know, then you run into a pandemic at the beginning of the year. And yet all of these, all of the dollars have been appropriated. The the, the engineering and the, the technical path had already been set out and and so much of the work had been done to make these missions possible and now we hit a pandemic mm-hmm. and the question is what do you do how do you execute do you execute um, and what we figured out um, is when covid came on the scene and i'm sure it was the same in your business as well everybody's trying to figure out how serious is this what does this mean to me day to day what does it mean to me what does it mean to my family what does it mean to my job um, so so everybody's trying to process all of this information and NASA, not unlike any other business in the country, there, were, there was a mission to carry out. You mm-hmm. still needed to find people. 
you know, Trinity still needed to find people. Every day we went to work. Right. Every day we were pushing. Yeah. So the mission doesn't stop. The question is, what do you have to do in, in the midst of all of this uncertainty? How do you get people to continue to continue pushing forward Mm -hmm. whenever there's, they don't even know if they're going to be safe. So what we did first above all else was we put, we put a, we drew a line in the sand and we said, we are not doing anything unless our people are safe. Period. Dot. End of story. We're going to take every precaution. We're going to take every step. We're going to make every decision with employee safety at the top of, of the decision matrix. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about, you know, well, we've got to go launch. It was, we've got to figure out how to keep our people safe. And then after that, we earn the right to talk about mission. And I really think it was earning the right to do so apart from, from the safety conversations and the precautions that we took. And we were out early as an agency. We were, we were one of the first agencies in the federal government to move to remote work. We were one of the first agencies in the federal government to kind of put our COVID protocols in place. And we had tremendous leadership inside the agency, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of in this decision-making process. But I think it was those early actions that gave people confidence that whenever we it came time to ask them to execute on mission in the middle of a pandemic, that we got the response that we did. And we went on to launch people in 2020. We, we sent, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you got to be a part of some of that. And we went on to launch our Mars mission in 2020. And so the world would have looked at it and said, those are really big, ambitious goals, but they're never going to happen now because of this pandemic. And what we saw was a workforce that felt like they'd been heard, felt like they were cared for, and felt like they could still execute in a, at a level that was going to be safe enough and successful enough to put people on top of a rocket for the very first time in this commercial crew program and launch them to the International Space Station. And that was, when you're around something like that and you see that level of commitment, number one, it makes you feel like, okay, we did something. We set a tone here from a culture perspective that people felt like they could execute and be taken care of. But two, man, you get to be a part of something like that for your country. um, And it's just one of those most, you know, one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. And so um, very, very real example there, uh, very tangible. But we, we could not have done any of that had we just said, this COVID thing doesn't matter, get back to work. <laughs> like that would not have, that would right. have not have got the job done. Um, and fortunately, we were able to, to execute in the middle of it. Well, I think a lot of leaders did that. They're like, we're just going to get back to work. And, um, you know, talk happened in the staff, which is what happens with a culture. But clearly, you guys got out ahead of it. So the the language... Um, the talk and the words that were being used amongst your staff were like, oh, we're all in, we're going, mm-hmm. and we'll be safe. Yep. Um, yeah, that that's pretty incredible. The The second thing that you talked about, um, I've got to move on because we're already in into some time here, um, is just cultivating culture. As leaders, we bear the responsibility for shaping both the people and the organizational culture. Mm-hmm. And the workplace environment it impacts not only the working hours but also seeps into employees personal lives and affecting you know their families and so your message was what we do as leaders transcends the the office mm-hmm. it influences our lives beyond the workplace and so i wanted to give you a chance to uh, talk with that and then um, maybe jump into the uh, question of how can leaders ensure that the positive aspects of the workplace culture seep into the personal lives of team members rather than like the negative aspects. Cause yeah. they're going to say one thing or the other. Um, what, uh, does anything come to mind about? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do feel that there is a weight to leadership and if you don't feel it as a leader, I, I would, I would really question 
uh, what your motives are, because as as a leader, you are now responsible for the what I would consider the, the health and well-being of every single person that you are leading. Um, and so I think there's a, a, a level of distance sometimes we put between us as leaders and our people and we can find things to the workplace. But I can tell you, everybody listening to this and you and I sitting here can mm-hmm. remember times whenever they've had a poor experience with leadership at the workplace that they've then taken home and it's impacted their marriage. It's impacted their relationship with their kids. It's impacted their drive home with some stranger in traffic that they got angry with because they were angry leaving the office. Yeah. Like, like what we set a tone as leaders inside of the office that is not contained or confined to the office. And so that, I think that's a responsibility that we have to steward well. And one of the things I, I, I feel like this at this part in my career, one of the things I want to do is just stamp out poor leadership, right? Like I just want, I want it to end. I've seen mm-hmm. too, too much destruction and damage done by poor leaders. I just want it to end. I want, I want to figure out how to, what's the silver bullet. And I found out there's not a silver bullet, but it all starts with us understanding we've got a, a level of responsibility for the people that, that we are leading that goes beyond just making sure we turn a profit. It goes beyond just making sure that um, we serve our customers well day to day. Like it, this is something where we are shaping lives. And whenever we take that into consideration, it demands action. It demands a, maybe a different type of action and a different type of connection with the people that we lead. Um, and so this, again, this is, these are all my personal feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody might listen to it and say, you're crazy. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, I think that if, if we limit our influence as leaders to the workplace, if we think that's all that it is, right. we're missing it mm-hmm. because we're sending people home every day. Um, and, and we've had an impact on what happens in their evenings, um, and in their mornings before they come back to work, whether they dread coming back to work the next day or whether they're excited about it. And you've probably been just like me where you've got up to go to a job one day where you're just not that enthused about it. And even your mornings, um, whenever you're not that enthused about it, can be influenced um, by poor leadership at work. Um, and so I think we, we have a weight um, that comes with leadership that sometimes we overlook. Oh, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately for, for me, I have more of a, a, a type A personality. And so if I allow that to shine it really impacts people. Mm-hmm. But so the one thing that was always hard for even me and you to talk about leadership about is the vast differences in the sizes of companies yeah. that we were running. You're running NASA. <laughs> I'm running 14 person person, you know, company over here. Every day I'm able to look for ways, think of ways, see and sense ways to add value to the people around here. Um, and a lot of it comes into their personal lives, but I have the ability to see it, sense it, and then just because of maybe the way God made me, I want to put action to it. Mm. And so um, that is the way that I'm able to do that. And a lot of our small ma- managers, I think that they'll feel the same way, you know, that, that you, you hear things, you think about things, and you're able to really begin to think execute ways to add value to people when a company's so large because in in the room of our leadership luncheon there are some there are some leaders there that are leaders over companies that are over 100 people so mm-hmm. you, you couldn't you couldn't do that how how did you really make that come to life 
for your employees? Do you have any kind of examples? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So at NASA, you had we had sixty thousand employees, God right? Uh, or no, excuse me, seventeen thousand employees and sixty thousand contractors, right? So seventeen thousand employees, sixty thousand contractors. That's seventy-seven thousand people on a daily basis that are connected to that agency, um, and so it's just a. Yeah, I know. Like considering it at the time, just traveling around to the different centers and and engaging with people um, on the ground across the country is overwhelming, right? At times, but leadership is a it's a people business, right? That's really what it is. And so, whether you're trying to lead ten or ten thousand, um, the way that you connect with people matters, and I think it it sets the foundation for what you're able to accomplish as a leader. And so, what we tried to do, and what we tried to be very intentional about. Um, was finding ways to connect. And so whether that was me with my team, I had a political team of about 17 people, but then I also had a chief of staff community across the agency that was another 30 people. And and so then I had, there, there were other communities that I was leading, um, different strategic communications communities. And like, like there are so many, in, in the level of people that I was leading all had massive ma- amounts of direct reports underneath them, right? Yeah. And so what we had to do was slow down in the pace of everything, get to know people, understand where they are, understand what challenges they're going through, really get intentional about connecting. And so we get so busy, whether you're running an an office with 10 people or an office with 10,000, doesn't matter. You can get so busy that you miss connection. And then you wonder why you aren't retaining people. Well, they don't feel any loyal to you, any Mm -hmm. loyalty to you. They don't, they don't have a connection with you. You're just, they, they, you make them feel like they're a cog in this bureaucracy that you're running, like for us at NASA. Yeah. And that couldn't happen if we wanted to get what we wanted to get done, done. People had to see themselves in the mission. They had to understand there was something big going on that they were critical to achieving. And so slowing down, I think John Maxwell talks about moving slowly through the crowd. Um, and I think that that is a really important thing, not only just moving slowly through the crowd and, and being intentional about connecting people along the way, but when you have direct reports, going beyond, hey, here's our job responsibilities that we got to execute and actually building relationships, understanding more about them that just is what's contained there at the office. And so I think connection is really what matters whenever it comes, whenever, whenever you think about this point. So the size of the company matters much less. Um, I think it's all about the connection a leader can form with the people that with he's their leading. direct. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for someone like me to see how that works, but I mean, you lived it, and and so that that's a great example. Um, the third part of leadership, and uh, yeah, we've got some time here. Um, it's the leadership identity. Um, our leadership journey begins with self awareness and a distinct leadership identity. Um, one size just doesn't fit all in leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, what works for someone might not work for you. And your guidance was you need to forge your own unique leadership identity based on introspection. Mm-hmm. So I was I was going to ask you to maybe com, uh, expand on that yeah. um, just a little bit. And then, you know, how has your personal leadership identity evolved over the years and what triggered its most significant yeah. shifts? I'm, I'm like a lot of people that are probably listening to this. I, I like to read. Uh, I listen to podcasts. I, I try and consume content about leadership that shapes who I am as a leader, right? And and I've done that for, for a long time now. Um, but one thing that became really, really clear to me as I spent time around great leaders is they they didn't just read principles and kind of carry around this, you know, toolkit of things that they, that they was just like, oh, I've got all of these tools here. They were actually developing what they really believed leadership to be 
what they really thought the type of person they needed to be to to be effective as a leader. And then they were developing true leadership systems. They didn't just read the latest leadership book and then say, oh, there's no tool. I'll go use it all over the place. It was like when they read, it was different. It was like, okay, there's a tool. I'm going to put that away into my system, see where it fits, and I'll use it when it's appropriate. And so I started to, to see leaders execute at, at really high levels, and they had their own what I call leadership identity. They knew what leadership was. They knew what it meant. They knew what was expected of them. They knew what character traits and qualities they had to possess to be effective. And they, no kidding, had a leadership model or framework that they could follow. And so that was something I, as I started to see that it was like, well, man, I want to do that. Cause one of the problems that, that I had early on as a leader is I didn't have some of these things. And I, I was trying to find mentors and whenever I got around a really good mentor, I would almost try and become that leader. And some of that's not bad, right? That's how you learn. You, you start, you start, you see things modeled right. and you go do it. But whenever it doesn't align with your personality and it doesn't align with who people believe you to be, you just come off like a jerk, right? I had one leader. He was like, if he, if he, if somebody was like two minutes late, dude would just rip him. Like, like he would just lay into him, send him. And, uh, I adopted that. And I just, for the record, I hate it when people show up late. Like I hate it. Right. Yeah. It just drives me crazy. But my approach to saying something to somebody, if it's direct and like, get out of my meeting because you showed up to me, that does, it's not received well from me. Cause that's not who I am. I have to, I have to slow the, slow that down a little bit and communicate differently. Um, now there are times where I've, I fired for effect like anybody, but man, I, I had to start to realize who am I as a leader? What is my leadership identity? So it started with coming up with, with what I believed leadership to be like a true definition of leadership. And so you know, Maxwell, you know, he makes it as simple as possible. He says, you know, leadership is influence. I take it a little bit further and I say leadership is a process of influencing others to achieve a determined goal, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a process. It's not a one-time event. It involves other people. Leadership is not about you. And it involves achievement. It involves achievement. Like we're moving towards something, a determined goal, something that we have predetermined that we're going to go chase. And so I think all of those elements matter to leadership. And so as I've developed that definition, now I know what leadership looks like. Now for me, whenever I go into a new organization or a new place, I know kind of what I believe leadership to be and what I, what I need to do. Then I kind of developed, okay, what are, if that's my definition, then what are the character traits or qualities that I have to have as a leader to be effective? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm simple. So I need, I need things that I can count. So I had like five or six C's that I kind of, re, you know, refer back to. So yeah. character, competency, commitment, capacity, connection. Like, so there, there are things there that in, and whenever I start to kind of understand those are the most important things, well, if, if character is one of the most important things then I need to develop that, if competency is very important then I need to develop that. If, um, connection is very important then I need to develop that. So I look at the things that I need to possess, but that also guides what I need to grow in so that I continue to be effective and I continue to grow in my level of, of influence over time. Um, and then lastly, you know, having a, a leadership model or a framework, um, which you and I are fans of, of Terry Cook's book, uh, Lead, Develop, Care. Yeah, that's where I was going to go yeah. next. And so, yeah. so I, I love having a framework. I can go to, to any, any organization, any structure, any position, and I can, I can move right in and say, okay, here are my core primary responsibilities. And now here's how I execute inside of each one of those responsibilities that will help me carry out um, what I feel I've been called to do. I'm so glad that you brought that up because you and I have had different mentors and we live in the same town. So, uh, you know, but we all, I think I know all of yours and you probably know all of mine, but we share one in common 
and um, you'll laugh at this because, and and I I want to say this as a as a thing that I messed up, and it's a great example of what Gabe was talking about. This guy is, it can be brash, you know, in his response, and I genuinely tried that, but Gabe, it was not me. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> and so, it. you know, uh, it, when I think about that, there there have been things that I've emulated in leaders that I, I really needed to because yeah, it, it it really worked. But being, you know, as you do that, being introspective to watch people's reactions to you when you try to execute this bold move, and um. And man, I hope you didn't have to learn as many hard lessons as I did. <laughs> I definitely learned some. But you know, one of my one of my favorite leaders that I, I was blessed to work with, his name was Jim Morehard, and he was the deputy administrator at NASA. And so I didn't have any relationship with this guy before we started. Um, but Jim Bridenstine was the administrator, and Jim Morehard was the deputy. And so whenever he came in, he was new to the team, and um, I, I started hanging out with him. And I saw him do some things in meetings, <clears throat> which were just really interesting, like. He, he got he got super fired up one time really quick into a meeting. We're talking like five minutes into the meeting. He was he was pretty livid with some folks. Yeah. And and I, you know, in getting to know Jim, that didn't seem like Jim to me. And I was trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, afterwards, I said, I said, hey, boss, like, like man, you're hot there. How can I help get that figured out? Um, he said, Gabe, some of these are tools. Right. He said anger can be a tool. Frustration can be a tool. Encouragement can be a tool. He said, I know how I, how I lead and I, I use certain tools at certain times to drive outcomes. And I think that's, that to me is you think about all of these different tools that we learn when we listen and we read and we're around people. There are tools that we can put into our toolbox and we can use at appropriate times. Right. But how we use them matters. If I used the same tools in the same way that Jim Moorhart did, people would not respond to it. Right. Um, but his personality, his demeanor, the way that he, the goals he wanted to achieve, he could do things in a way that were different than what I could do things. And, uh, and so I think that level of self-awareness, knowing that I'm not Corey Minter and Corey's not me and we're not going to lead exactly alike. Um, that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I think, uh, it's, it's been fun to watch, um, over time and see, and see, see yeah, it's an important things. thing. I, yeah. I don't even want to say any more about that because that was so <laughs> well said so thanks man that, that's your gift you'll take this complex thing and simplify it. oh man um real quick i'm, I'm gonna have to go because we're getting on 30 minutes here and i promised you guys that it would be short yeah um i want to move to lead develop care yeah. i have a specific question about that but this is selfish you led a meeting with mike pence you've not talked i've, I've wanted to ask you about this and i've not even been able to do it personally well so uh, but but let me ask a question yeah. You're leading him. You know he's the vice president. And um, politics aside here, guys, um, what was it like? And how did you wrap your mind around leading someone that was clearly above where you were in in an organizational chart? Yeah. So how did you plan for that? I mean, I think a lot of people would want to know that. Man, so so I want to make sure that I, I represent this the right way. So. Um, Mike Pence was not only the vice president of the United States, but he was also the chairman of the National Space Council, which okay. is just incredible. Right. And so we had opportunities to host um, Vice President Pence a number of times at, at NASA. And, and some of those were on the um, you know, on the National Space Council. We actually hosted those meetings at NASA. He was supposed to be at our launch. Yeah, yeah I know there was there was that there was a lot going on. around. Yeah. Um, but. But what I what I appreciated. So there were there were no shortage of opportunities at NASA where I was sitting in a room leading people 
that were in positions that were higher than me or that knew much more than I did at right. any one given time. Right. Um, and so in those moments, you know, what I, what I kind of figured out is number one, just don't try and be somebody that you're not and don't mm-hmm. try and act like, you know, everything, whenever you don't, um, I worked with, with engine, the, the highest level of engineers that you can work with in the space industry, highest level of scientists you can work with some of the highest level of government officials you can work with. And, and what I did not try and be was the smartest engineer in the room or the smartest scientist in the room or any of that. Right. I wanted to try and understand problems, keep a meeting moving and then move us towards solutions as we could get there. And so whenever you had national space council meetings at NASA, I would work with vice president Pence's team. We would set all of these things up and then we would help coordinate sidebar conversations about a number of really important topics. Um, and so vice president Pence was one of those guys where he would, man, he would, he would just allow you, um, to kind of move into a relationship with him that was just very unique and very different. Mm-hmm. Um, he was approachable. Um, not, not one of those politicians that's just, I'm more important than you. He was an approachable, approachable man. And I'll never forget. We, um, we had to scrub on, on the first demo to launch, um, which was the, the first time we were going to launch humans, um, you know, on us soil on American rockets since the retirement of the space shuttles. And, in the middle of the pandemic, like we were talking about. And we had to scrub the first attempt because of weather. And one of the first people that came through the door when we made that call was Vice President Pence. And he went around and he shook each and every person's hand. And he said, I'm proud of you. This is great. This was the right call. We'll be back at it in a couple of days. Like he just understood how to, to make you feel like you made the right call and, and he was going to connect with you and, and make sure that you knew it. Whenever you get that type of leadership yeah. from the number two man in the United States, um, that was really, really powerful. And so. a lot of you guys aren't going to understand what that's like going to a space shuttle launch. Everyone is excited. Yeah. People have gotten up at three in the morning to be there. Um, it is it is, is it, it, as exciting as like a game day in college. Yeah. Like there's that much attention that's happening. Yeah. And so if you can imagine going to a big game day in college or football or something like that, and then they are like, oh, game's off. Um, and so I would imagine that in the past there are leaders that came back to you and said, no, you are <laughs> going to launch. And you're like, no, we can't. There's too much lightning in the air or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to give a little bit of frame of mind to that because yeah. it is such a big deal. And, and, at that, and in that particular story, you had – the entire cabinet there. You had the president and his family there. You had everybody and you had the eyes of the world on you. At right. Because it was the pandemic. And yet here was NASA doing something inspirational That's right. you know, for, for the country and for the world. So yeah, there was, everybody's watching. So yeah, it was uh it was a moment for sure. I hate that we're having to maybe rush a little bit through lead developed care, but yeah. y- you and I met um, uh, the author of this through um, a good friend of ours, Dave Jewett. And so um I just want to kind of set up lead develop care and I know that this is something you're passionate about. So mm-hmm. I want to give you as much time to like discuss it. Um, and we're going to wrap up with this. Um, you know, in, in the lead part of lead develop care, you're setting a clear vision and direction that inspires alignment and motivation. You've talked about that a little bit and the develop part, you recognize talents, invest time and development and address strengths and weaknesses of the people around you. On the care, you're showing genuine interest in your team's well-being and foster to, to be able to foster strong connections. And, and your key principle was your leadership framework drives attraction, and, and it also you know, is, helps you ret- 
retain talent. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just wanted you to speak about that um, yeah. and go kind of wherever you want with that, because yeah. I know this is a passion of yours. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think, you, you know, you, my, my hope is that every leader that's, that's listening to this um, is starting to develop and establish through some level of shared experiences or reading or, or mentorship, a, a leadership framework that they can take from any job and move to the next job and know here's exactly what I'm going to need to do to be effective as a leader here. Um, the, the nuance of the job is going to change, but your primary responsibilities as a leader will not. And that's what I love about the framework, the, the lead develop care framework that, that is your, that, that kind of just makes it very simple about what your primary responsibilities are to lead effectively, to develop people and to care for them along the way. And so whenever you think about the lead part of that, like you said, you're setting direction, um, as a leader, you're aligning people to that, to that direction, um, you're motivating people to achieve um, the, the goals that you've set before them and you're managing that process. And so whenever you have that lead, whenever you know that's what leading looks like, you can be intentional about each and every one of those areas. And you can also coach back to some of those areas if there are challenges. If somebody's not performing like you want to, like you want them to, then the question is, well, do they, do they know what the direction is? Are they aligned with it? Are they motivated? Am I managing them effectively? You can ask yourself questions first before you start engaging with them. You move into the develop side of things. Again, I think this is the part that most leaders don't have time for. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. Like you don't have time to develop your people. Um, and that comes down to teaching, modeling, and coaching, right? So you're, you're teaching people what it looks like to execute effectively. You're helping model for them a lot of times what it looks like to carry out those responsibilities. And then you're, you're investing in coaching people to get them better, to get them more in alignment with where they need to be so that the organization can be successful. And in each one of these areas, not only are you growing capacity um, or competency inside of these areas, but as you get better in each one, you're also growing your capacity, your ability to take on more. Because if I have a framework and I have a system, I can work through these things. Um, If it's all random and I'm just from day to day, just trying to get the next leadership thing done, man, your, your capacity goes down in a hurry. And then lastly, on the, on the care side, it's about knowing your people. Um, It's about connecting with your people. It's about understanding how to provide most effectively for them. And honestly, it's about protecting them a little bit, making sure that you are looking out for their best interests um, at all times. You know, the protection side of things that weighed in heavy in the COVID story, Mm -hmm. trying to make sure that we kept people healthy, not only for, for the agency, but also for their families. So that having a framework like that for me has been transformational. Like I can move um, into each circumstance. I can look at having a framework to run things through. I know what my primary responsibilities are. I know what the actions are I need to take inside of each one of those. And then I can go out and I can, I can lead effectively. Yeah. One of the things that Gabe asked us to do um, was, do you know, and tell me if I got the question wrong, but in, in my mind, it's like, do you know what your main leadership, uh, you know, what is it you're doing to add value to people and what is your plan for leadership? Do do you know exactly what it is? And, and I think, I think that that is just so important that you really actually think about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you want to, you, you you had to say, so I, I think again, asking people like, what is your definition of leadership? Like what is good leadership to you? What, what are the characteristics and quality traits you need to be effective and then what is the framework that you use to go do it? Um, if you can't identify those things, then you're gonna, it's, it's almost like on-the-job training, right? Or if you've never collected your thoughts around those, then you're trying to grab for tools 
and pieces and stories and podcasts and all of that stuff is good. But when you're in the moment and it's mm-hmm. time to lead, you don't have time to say time out. I'm going to go listen to a podcast real quick. You need to have a framework that, you know, okay, based on the situation that I'm in right now, that's a lead problem. I can identify that pretty quickly. I don't think that they're aligned with the direction that I've set. So we need to have a conversation about that and I can start addressing it. And so it, it's something that helps very practically in being effective. Yeah. And man, we, we've got to go, but like understanding your blind spots or the areas that you're n- not as gifted in at, as a leader, I think is, is so important to know exactly what those things are. Yes. And a lot of people don't know those And putting in a process for when that happens. I, I, uh, uh, you know, this is a weakness of mine, so I'm sharing it, but it's hopefully to ben- benefit other people. I, I seem to be able to make up my mind on what I think happened very quickly. Okay, half the time I'm wrong. And so when I get really frustrated, my absolute go-to, absolute have-to, my leaders here know that they are to remind me of this, I ask questions to seek to understand first. Because it's so quick for me to think that I already know what it is. So that is a weakness of mine. Um, I want to, it's easy for me to jump to conclusions. Now, I've had to learn this because of hard knocks. I've Mm -hmm. made stupid decisions because I went off of that initial reaction. And so learning and knowing what your gaps are are really important. And then just equally knowing, hey, listen, I'm gifted at this. Probably don't need to worry so much about this, right. but knowing where your um, limitations are, and if you can't seem to learn that, make sure you um, hire someone who's really good at it yes. and give that to them. Um, man, I got to get out of here, Gabe, because we're at forty minutes. Oh man, um, it's too long. I uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. This is this is a really really great leader. He's a great friend of mine. And uh, we're blessed to have him, and so I really appreciate it. And I hope this blesses you guys today. Hope you have a great day today. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in February.